0: The time is now. volume 4 episode 83 this is employment law now i am mike schmidt your host of this employment law now podcast and the vice chair of labor and employment here at cozen o'connor I have to tell you, among all of the questions and issues that continue to be swirling around the universe these days, mandatory vaccines and whether employers can require employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine uh, is really the hot topic of the day so hot that I wanted to get an esteemed little panel of uh, my colleagues to talk about this very issue on today's podcast. You will recognize both of them as frequent guests of Employment Law Now. David Barron, a partner of mine in our Labor and Employment Department, he is resident in the Houston office, uh, but similarly has a national practice and Howard Schweitzer, who is the CEO of Cozen O'Connor's Public Strategies and a former member of the Bush, Clinton, and Obama administrations in Washington, D.C. Today they will be joining me to talk about the politics and employment law implications of mandatory vaccine policies. Howard and David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, Like like everything else these days, um, everything is really becoming a political issue. So, Howard, I want to start with you with the first uh, couple of questions uh, being in the political mix like you are. Um, People are certainly concerned that the vaccine issue that we've been talking about now seems for weeks uh, and the distribution of the vaccine is less about science and medicine and really is much more of a politicized issue. What would you say to that?
1: I think it in, it certainly revolves around government, but I I think actually if you look at the arc of the vaccine kind of becoming a reality, they worked pretty hard to keep it out of the political realm. I actually think the president President Trump tried to tried to bring it into the political realm and and make it an election issue. And and look at what Pfizer did. They announced the results the I think the week immediately after the election. So they clearly, as a company, made a choice, and you can almost picture the board conversation, um, you know, in your mind. They they clearly made an effort to keep it out of the political realm and not allow. The vaccine to be politicized, I think, because people were concerned that it would um, diminish the credibility of the vaccine itself. The now the delivery of the vaccine is another issue, and I don't even think that that's being politicized per se. But again, it revolves around government and government deciding who goes first and and who goes later on. And, and so, you know, I, I don't think government and politics or politicization are, are one and the same, Mike, but, but certainly government's got, got the central role to play here.
0: And it is interesting that the rollout of the vaccine is actually uh, covering two administrations. We're starting during the end of the Trump administration and it will continue obviously into the new Biden administration. How does the Biden administration look at vaccine distribution um, and what say do the various States around the country have in all this?
1: Yeah. So the incoming administration is working all day, every day and, 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 my team and I and and, and folks we know are, are engaging with them on all things COVID. This is an extraordinary time. And they know on day one, when they step into office, they own this thing. And, and they're getting ready. They're getting ready from a number of perspectives. But I think testing and understanding the, the testing production regime and then vaccine distribution are at the very top of their list. And they're, they're almost acting as if they're in office today, the way they're approaching getting ready to actually assume office. They're reaching out to companies uh, that, that are playing a role in those areas and and are going to play a significant role in, in COVID mitigation. And, and they're having conversations and, and that's how they're getting ready. They're understanding what's being done.
0: And so what is the current plan on the phased vaccine rollout? We've been hearing a lot about um, various tiers and who might uh, be eligible to get the vaccines. What, what's the latest on that?
1: Well, it's, it's really state-driven, Mike, and it's going uh, healthcare workers first. And you asked earlier what role the states are playing. And I think the, the departments of health inside the states generally the, the departments of health are making calls on prioritization and, um, getting the vaccine out to affected populations. And it seems that nursing homes, well healthcare workers and then nursing home residents are, are the first, first to go generally speaking. Um, uh, but then kind of like we saw with, um, a classification as essential workers, um, shutdowns. It's a little bit of a free-for-all in terms of prioritization, and, and uh, various industries are trying to, in some cases, do what they can to get their folks to the front of the line sooner.
0: And who's paying for all of this? I mean, is this something that employers are going to be uh, having to fund, employees, the government? Will there be shared uh, payment obligations?
1: Yes, uh, to, all, to all of that. Uh, it's it's a mixture. Uh, the public certainly is is going to pay a significant share. Um, it's a, you know I, I think it's a little bit of all of the above, Mike. Um, in some ways, I feel like we're almost kind of beyond what this thing costs because the, the public health cost is so much. Greater than the actual cost of administering administering the vaccine, uh, the the economic cost and and the public health cost. So and obviously, people are losing their lives. So I think it's in the overall scheme of things, money is definitely needed, and more money needs to be appropriated from the feds. But the the primary issue is distribution, and and the federal government. You know this operation warp speed that everybody's heard about a fair amount. The federal government has been front-loading production before we even knew that these vaccines would be would be effective. In the case of the Pfizer vaccine, they weren't technically part of warp Operation Warp Speed, but the federal government committed to to purchase a certain amount of the Pfizer vaccine. So the money's flowing in various different ways for different aspects of this, but again, pales in comparison to the other costs.
0: And so as long as we're talking about costs, and we're going to get uh, in a moment uh, to the employer employee aspect of Mm -hmm. a lot of this, but I'm, I'm still fascinated as a lot of other people are about the politics and what's going on. As long as we're talking about cost, it begs the larger question of what the current status is in Washington uh, with a new CARES and, and relief bill uh, and possibly even an extension of the FFCRA leave requirements. Any any thoughts on, on what we might expect to see, if anything, before New Year's?
1: There's a meeting today, or there was an invitation for a meeting today among what's called the four corners, which are the uh, majority and minority leaders and both chambers of, of Congress. Um, So that's a sign of some progress. It's, you know, there are a couple of major issues in play one on each side on the democratic side, they want support for state and local government to make up funding shortfalls. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are, are dead set against that on the Republican side. They want liability relief for companies. And the Democratic side is, is cool to, to that idea, at least across the board. So, you know, I, I think they'll come together and do some sort of deal alongside the government spending deal for fiscal year 2021. And I think it probably looks like extension of the F- FCRA, maybe some additional... Uh, small business PPP funding um, remains to be seen whether there's enough there to crack a big deal, something in the order on the order of you know a, a trillion dollar deal, nine hundred billion. That's that's kind of what's being talked about now. Um, it I don't have the magic answer. It, it remains to be seen, but I'm optimistic that they'll deal with at least some of the lingering benefits issues.
0: And does that include the FFCRA and and the leave obligations that employers have? We expect to see something done with that, whether an extension or or something?
1: I think so, Mike. I think so.
0: Okay. And and lastly, I'm going to put you on the spot from a prognostication standpoint. We're hearing that uh, the runoff elections in Georgia are really going to have a big impact on what happens probably in the next four years in Washington. Um, What can you say about that?
1: They are enormous. Uh, obviously, in terms of the consequences, I think for legislative purposes, but also for purposes of confirming Biden's pick for various spots, because if the republic, as long as the Republicans hold the Senate, you need Mitch McConnell to agree to a Biden nominee. Um, it's actually very interesting. People don't, by and large, know this, but any single senator. Can place a hold on any nominee um, that put forward by a presidential administration. So, even any single senator has a lot of power when it comes to nomination and confirmation. That doesn't play out so much with the at the cabinet level. It plays out all day every day at the um, you know undersecretary, deputy secretary, assistant secretary levels at kind of the mid level political levels. So all that to say the um the senate has an enormous amount of power and who holds the senate will be critical in terms of getting biden nominees in there on big things like uh tax legislation potential climate change legislation things like that these stimulus additional stimulus or infrastructure legislation it's enormously consequential so i think it, the conventional wisdom is that the Republicans win at least one of the two Georgia Senate races. And so it's 51-49 or 52-48 in the Senate. Look, even if it's 50-50, it's power sharing and it gives the Joe Mansions of the world, the these, these moderate, centrist Democratic senators, it, it will give them an enormous amount of power. So- even if they even if the Democrats win, it's not you know game over in terms of the Biden folks needing to play ball. but I do think to answer your question that the Republicans take at least one and hold the Senate.
0: Are we gonna know that right away, or is this going to be uh weeks or months of more recounts and lawsuits?
1: Well, I saw that there had been as of last week something like one point two million mail-in ballots requested in Georgia, so i <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to know day of, um, I think it'll, we, you know, and it'll be close. Like, it's going to be close and the polling and folks that watch these things, I mean, to the extent anybody can rely on polling, it's going to be very close. And so I think we, we could end up in an extended kind of count the votes, recount the votes kind of scenario.
0: Well, at least it keeps things interesting and gives us uh, reason to have these podcast episodes. So, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back, Howard, in a few minutes uh, to talk about some messaging questions. But I do want to get right back on the rails talking about the vaccine issues and, and specifically from an employment standpoint. David Barron, let's start with the overarching million dollar question that everybody is asking us on a daily basis. Can employers implement a mandatory COVID-19 vaccine policy and, and require employees to get the vaccine?
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's the question that's on everybody's minds right now, for sure. Um, and we'll answer you
0: know, that after this commercial. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want to give that lawyer, the, the typical lawyer answer, it depends, maybe. Uh, you know, if, you know the, the one thing that makes this vaccine so unique, which, which some people are really missing, is the fact that it's, it's not an approved, a fully approved FDA vaccine. This is a vaccine that's been approved for emergency use authorization only. And, you know, that's a little bit of a wrinkle, because if you look at that, the law that allows the FDA to approve, you know, treatments, including vaccines and and all sorts of things um, on an emergency use basis, that law also requires the healthcare provider to provide certain notifications to the patient, telling them they have a right to refuse this particular treatment, in this case, a vaccine. So. We really haven't had a situation where you have some a medical treatment that's been approved for emergency use only, and the question of whether it can be mandated, you know, by either the government or, um, in this case, employers. So, so that we're on we're in uncharted territory when it comes to that. Um, now, if you step back for a second and say, just generally, can employers mandate vaccinations? The answer to that is clearly yes. It's been done for a long time by the healthcare industry, for example, with, with influenza and other types of, you know, hepatitis B and other other types of, you know, historically safe vaccines that are given, you know, all the time. Um, the two big caveats to that, of course, would be, um, you know, reasonable accommodations based on religious reasons and, um, you know, medical reasons, uh, disabilities and, you know, medical conditions that would create, create a medical uh, reason not to be able to safely take the vaccine.
0: So we're waiting for essentially some specific guidance as it relates to the COVID-19 vaccine. And I guess the three biggest players in this, uh, the EEOC, the CDC, possibly even OSHA, is there a chance that, they're, that they could be coming out with a different position than what they had traditionally taken on the flu vaccine, um, just given how COVID-19 appears to be much more of a dire situation when it comes to public health and, and public health emergencies?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting as I think this could go either way, right? I mean, there's one school of thought that says um, this is, you know, a deadly disease. Um, Certainly, you know, more art, you know, I think the science shows it's more deadly, for example, than influenza. So, and, and, you know, from an economic standpoint, certainly much more of an impact. So there's, there's one school of thought that says that these government agencies will, you know, be more aggressive and certainly allowing employers and, 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 even, potentially states and municipalities who want to get into mandates the freedom to do that. Again, on the flip side, again, we have the emergency use authorization question. Um, There's, there's a lot of, you know, skepticism out there um, at, at every level, I think. Um, And there's a lot of hesitancy. I mean, I've talked to a lot of clients that are thinking about mandating vaccination, but so far, even in the healthcare industry, who will be the first ones to have employees that are actually getting shots. Um, I I haven't seen any really big healthcare employer jump into the deep end and say, we're going to require this, um, you know, as a mandatory vaccination. Now, some of that's supply issues. I mean, we're really, we're really not there yet where employers have to make those hard decisions. Um, And many employers are trying to, you know, hold off until they really have to make those decisions. So, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, and and certainly to that point, it's hard to, if not impossible, to have a mandatory vaccine policy when we don't yet have vaccines available uh, across the board to all employees. So it's really more of a, let's think about, let's plan what we're going to do when that time comes.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think that's where everybody really is at right now is, you know, uh, I, I think the consensus is start with encouragement and voluntary types of incentives, and then see, you know, where that gets you as a employer or as a country or as a community. Um, you know, everybody's crossing their fingers and hoping that, you know, between a large volume of people voluntarily taking the vaccine and perhaps, you know, winter concluding, sort of the, the flu season concluding. And, you know, unfortunately, with the large numbers of people that have already been infected, that maybe all those things working together will make it unnecessary for either employers or, or government uh, bodies to have to make that hard decision about whether, you know, to mandate.
0: And so you mentioned a moment ago uh, to the extent that they can mandate um, vaccines, uh, it's likely that the government will still require employers to accommodate certain types of uh, requests or certain types of needs by employees, and and typically that has been in the two buckets of either disability-related accommodations or sincerely held religious-based accommodations. Is the analysis for dealing with or addressing those types of accommodation requests different than how you would have to analyze those types of requests pre-COVID? you know, somebody for for any workplace policy or rule, if somebody comes in and says, I need a disability accommodation or I need a religious-based accommodation, is the analysis the same or is there something different that companies need to look at that's specifically tied to this COVID issue and the vaccine issue?
2: I think in many respects, it's similar, but of course, everything COVID becomes more complicated and and pressure-packed, right? Um, You know, most employers really haven't had a lot of experience in dealing with questions of whether something is a bona fide religious belief, for example. Most employers would simply spot the employee that issue, and take a, take them on their word. Um, you know, vaccines are, are somewhat unique in that you know you have you know a large number of people, sort of the anti-vaxxer movement and others, where it's not really a religious belief. It's more of a philosophical or personal ethical belief. And you know, from a legal protection standpoint, religious beliefs are protected and ethical you know um you know those those types of beliefs even if strongly held are typically not legally protected so that's that's an issue which a lot of employers really haven't ever had to wade into which i think will be you know somewhat uncharted i think on the medical side the benefit there is you know you're you're probably as an employer going to rely on medical professionals to make those you're not going to be making those judgments for you um, you know w- what I would say on on both of those buckets is that to the extent you can craft a policy or have a procedure where perhaps you um, outsource that, that question. Interestingly enough, I've talked to a number of healthcare clients, uh, you know, large hospital chains, et cetera, and and they they sometimes have um, similar to like an arbitration agreement where you would maybe have like an arbitration agreement specifically for this process where you have an outside third party, whether it's a retired judge or arbitrator, and you just funnel all those requests to that third party so that your HR department doesn't have to tell an employee that, you know, we don't think that's a religious belief. I mean, that those are hard conversations to have with employees. And sometimes it's better to, you know, to perhaps use some other adjudicatory system that would be quicker like an arbitrator type of tribunal, um, you know, to resolve those disputes.
0: And certainly, though, as a general matter, somebody's raising um a disability or religious based accommodation request. the company's going to have to analyze first of all whether this is a covered disability or a sincerely held covered religious uh issue and then determination and then determine through the usual interactive process uh, is there some reasonable accommodation that can be made um and uh and lastly, I guess if there is an undue hardship uh, uh however strict that threshold may be.
2: Yeah, and and you know, this doesn't have to necessarily be a you know to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated question. I mean, some employers might get there, but there's also lots of you know um, sub- subsidiary questions like, are we going to let people back in the office if they're not vaccinated, or are we going to let them around patients or members of the public if you're in a high contact area? You know, I mean, you know, are we going to let people continue to work from home? if they don't want to be vaccinated. So, I mean, there's lots of other questions that I think are going to be the ones that are really going to preoccupy HR departments' times. Uh, And, 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 you know, once the vaccine becomes available, there's going to be a lot of questions that have to be answered in terms of policies that that don't necessarily rise to the level of, of mandating a vaccine.
0: And for those companies that have unionized workforces, as they're thinking about planning what they're going to do vis-a-vis a a vaccine policy. Is there anything that employers for unionized workforces should be thinking about?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the simple answer is, um, you know, if you have employees who are represented by a, you know, a union, then you have to collectively bargain over, you know, certain mandatory subjects of bargaining. This is a somewhat complicated question and dependent upon, you know, the individual company's circumstances, including what the, the union contract or the CBA says, whether you have a contract or you're in the midst of bargaining generally. So, I mean, those are very individualized questions. Um, I I think the more interesting question is whether generally, you know, this would fall under like a management rights clause, for example, you know, I mean, many, many contracts have these broad management rights clauses that give the employer the right to, you know, for example, craft safety rules. Um, You may have to bargain with the union over what the impact of those might be, or if you terminated somebody, they may have the right to grieve the discipline but, uh, in many cases, employers have broad discretion under federal law to craft appropriate you know health and safety policies and, and under this you know the Trump administration, the NRB has been very lenient in allowing employers to you know very quickly without necessarily getting union consent you know do things like implement temperature checks and and all the things that we 've seen that are being recommended by the cdc it
0: 's almost like an emergency use situation exactly you're you're not going through your normal processes as to what has to be bargained and how long that takes place if there is this this exigency to the issue
2: right but i think you have to balance that with the fact that if your your workforce revolts against the notion of mandatory vaccinations that's not a good thing either and you know it's it's worth pointing out that even in the context of a non-union workplace because i've seen you know rumblings of this you know online and on social media you know certainly employees can band together and protest working conditions or rules even without a union. You know, we've seen, you know, lots of folks, you know, threatening, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, quit or, or refuse and band together with other employees. If, if, if my employer mandates this vaccine and and there's certain protections under federal law and maybe even state law for employees that protest working conditions. And this would certainly qualify as that. So, you know, this is very difficult terrain for an employer. If employees, you know, on in an organized fashion, revolt or protest against uh,
0: a policy. No question about it. So, before I uh, end with a couple of messaging questions for uh, for you and for Howard, we've we've spent the last few minutes talking about whether employers can legally uh, mandate that employees get vaccinated. Assuming that they can, and assuming that the government agencies and all involved tell employers that they can, the next question I think is: Should they? I mean, what what are you telling clients about whether they should be in the business of requiring employees to get vaccinated uh, if they're allowed to? Is either one, for... e- yeah, either <laughs> either one of you. Okay,
1: um, it's a tough question, Mike. I mean, because I think there's so much we. Don't know. Um, And that's why this is so hard. And I mean, should they, I, I, it's hard. It's very hard to say. Um,
0: I mean, we're talking about more, you know, a lot of morale issues. I mean, David, you mentioned a moment ago, sort of anti-vax movement. And there there is a, a large number of people. I think I just read this morning that as of today, at least a quarter of the public that responded to these surveys said that they were either reluctant to or unwilling to take a vaccine. Uh, depending on the workforce that you have, I think morale and, and what the impact of a mandatory policy is on that workforce may play a role in deciding whether you as a company want to mandate this even if you're allowed to sure. now, david are, you, are you, yeah. you talking about that at all with clients
2: yeah and i think i mean there, there's lots of sort of moving parts here i mean w- one is that you know first off do you need to go that far and do you need to start at that point right i mean there's i think there's a tendency to start with Voluntary vaccination and do everything you can to encourage that. I mean, if you're in an industry like healthcare, or maybe in an industry where you feel strongly for whatever reason that employees should, or that's better for your operations for employees to be vaccinated, um, you know, I, I think most are going to start with carrots before you, you know, break out the the stick, right? I, I think that's sort of the consensus way to approach the problem and see, and see where that gets you operationally as to whether you need to to break out the stick um and and you know i think that there's a couple of things just from a big picture standpoint is that you know every night if you watch tv you see the advertisements for drugs that were you know being used five years ago that are now you know plants lawyers suing on those drugs they were all approved by the fda as well uh and you know it was not unanimous by the way i mean people miss that the decision on the eua was not unanimous by the fda i mean it's it's not a crazy position to say that you know if you're a healthy 20, 20 year old person that maybe there's reasons why you w- might not take this so every person is different every workforce is different every company is different and i you know i i think you know many many people say that this is a very complex decision that almost needs to be made on a person by person basis yeah. yeah it's a very personal decision And that, you know, it's just, if it's, if it's not necessary, why pick that fight? And I I think, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I personally like get the shot yesterday if I could, (laughs) but that's me personally. Like I'm willing to take that risk. I respect that somebody may not be. And I think it's, to me, it's like to really answer your question, Mike, it's like, I think it's pretty onerous to, for an employer to force an employee to put something in their bodies that's that's this kind of unproven um but that's just my personal opinion i'm not um you know expressing any opinion beyond that but it's it feels like just on a common sense kind of human level like it's like like maybe this thing should mature a little bit before we start Making people do something that hasn't been, you know, really. I mean, it's been authorized on an emergency use basis, not after years of study. And it's I can understand why it would be scary to some people.
2: And, and I think there's going to be I think there's going to be litigation as well, Mike. I mean, I think you know, there's the question of should should you do it, which I think has to be include an analysis of are you going to get sued? You know, I mean, in our world as employment lawyers, you know, and I think it's certainly in states that tend to be more liberal and pro-employee, things like you know, the public policy exception to employment at will, you know, is, and that might be broad, broad enough to encompass a lawsuit like this of firing an employee for not taking an experimental vaccine, right? I mean, there, there's lots of good arguments out there that could be made to where you know, it, it would be a, a significant lawsuit for an employer to have to defend.
0: Yeah, and I what's, think you yeah, they'll
1: so. probably look at the circumstances of the person's employment. Like what do they do? Right. And you know, some of the stuff you were saying earlier, what's the context, David, and, and think about it from that perspective. And maybe there's something else you can do to accommodate them. But if it has to do with public contact or something like that, you know, maybe you put them somewhere else easier said than done. Like, this is tough and you have to deal with the realities of somebody's job and you can't always carve out something else for them. But I can see both sides of
0: it. Yeah. And on the other side of it, I mean, we're talking about um, litigation and, and other obligations that employers have. We know that OSHA Uh, has a fairly broad general duty clause that requires employers to provide uh, hazard-free work environments. So that raises the question of if you're not going to require uh, your employees to be vaccinated before they come in, are you going to have some employees uh, claiming that you have not provided a hazard-free work environment because you're bringing in employees who have not been vaccinated?
2: Yeah, you're going to be damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? I mean, that's been the theme of COVID. So, I I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly there are going to be employees that say, you know, I'm not coming back to the office until everybody's been vaccinated. And I I don't want to work around people who have not been vaccinated. And then you're going to have people on the other side who, you know, don't want to be told that they have to be vaccinated. So, I mean, clearly we're going to be, it's going to be the same thing we had with masks. It's going to be, you know, even more heated, I think, for for a period of time. And I think just employers are going to have to somehow balance those concerns out and, And do the best they can. But I I don't see OSHA. I mean, honestly, I don't see OSHA coming in and telling employers that if you don't require all of your employees to be vaccinated, that that's a violation of the duty clause. I just don't think that's a realistic risk. I think the risk on the other side of mandating is just from a realistic risk assessment. I think that's a bigger risk to employers.
0: I think, that's, I think that's right, especially as OSHA will know that most likely the EEOC is going to be taking the position that uh, while you can require vaccines, there are exceptions and you're going to have to accommodate and, and right. deal with some of these other exceptions. So it, it, I think would be, OSHA would be hard pressed to come up with an absolute rule that uh, you have to require vaccinations across the board in order to create a hazard-free work environment.
1: I, I totally agree. Yeah. Meanwhile, like the vaccine is rolling out and that's, <laughs> and a we huge, yeah, that's a huge positive and there are some tough issues, but obviously uh it's a good thing, you know, net, net of all the challenges, it's obviously a positive.
0: Yeah. and So I think the takeaway from the employment side is we are still waiting for some really significant guidance to come uh, from the government agencies on this. As I said, if not uh, the next couple of weeks before New Year's, I would think and hope shortly after New Year's. But employers should certainly start to be thinking about and planning which way they're going to go and what they're going to do when it comes to vaccine policies with their employees. I, I want to end with uh, with you both on a couple of questions about messaging. First, uh, Howard, to you, how do companies advocate for their businesses on this issue under the current political climate?
1: Well, I think what we've seen throughout the COVID emergency has been, you got to speak up. And I've actually been extraordinarily impressed by how accessible folks inside government have been throughout this thing. Whether you're talking about Capitol Hill or you're talking about governor's mansions, it's um, they've been, they've been accessible, but you have to speak up. And if you've got a perspective uh, that you think public officials need to hear, or you want to get yourself to the front of some line, Um, or you want to shine a spotlight on the needs of your industry. Um, you've, you've, you've got to articulate that and, and you've got to be talking to folks. And obviously that's, that's what public strategies in my role, that's what we do each and every day, Mike is help companies navigate through the maze of government and connect with folks that have a reason to care about their issues. Um, and And we're happy to help anybody, um, but you can also pick up the phone, and people will talk to you if they have a reason to to talk to you. So I think it's been it's it's actually worked pretty darn well.
0: And David, when we're starting to talk about uh, messaging all of this to employees, and we know, like everything, Uh, like with everything, it's one thing to go ahead and create a policy and think about implementing it, but how we're going to roll it out and how we're going to message these issues to our employees. What should companies be thinking about right now when it comes to how we're going to be messaging these issues and communicating with employees about them?
2: I I think it's important to, again, I think a a phased approach, you don't want to go from zero to mandates, I think is probably not where most employers want to be. First off, again, because it's unnecessary and, and you not the availability, but just also from a let's ease people into the notion of being vaccinated. Let's get the people vaccinated who want to be vaccinated first in the workplace, and then let's assess where we're at. So I think I think you know, employers right now should be thinking about how do we start start that process with our employees to communicate with them about, you know, what we as an organization want and, and hope and expect from our employees there's nothing wrong with an employer saying, look, you know, and many employers have been having these like fireside chats with their CEOs and management, you know, during the pandemic. And I think those are great. And, and having these types of regular communications with, with their employees. And I think you should start including in those regular communications, you know, the, the company's position and, and ex- expectations. And if that includes wanting to have as many people within their organization vaccinated as possible, I think you should say that. Um, you know, and, it, you know, I think to the extent possible, you know, as we've been talking about re- recognizing that there's going to be issues and you're flexible and, you know, we're, we're going to do our best to work with all of our employees, you know, but if the, if the expectation is that, that people
0: will be vaccinated, I think you should, you know, certainly start that messaging. That's great. Um, So I feel like I've been saying this a lot over the past nine or so months, but uh, so much of this is constantly changing. Uh, I am sure in the next uh, few weeks, I'll be asking both of you back to uh, the podcast to talk about the latest developments on vaccines, the politics of it, the employment implications of it. Uh, But David Barron and Howard Schweitzer, two great partners of mine here at Cozen O'Connor, thank you as always for being on the podcast. This has been really informative. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Well, that was terrific. I hope you found it informative and useful information to bring back to your organizations. Obviously, there is going to be a lot changing on this very issue, whether in the next couple of weeks before the new year or shortly after the new year 2021 rolls around, we will keep you abreast on all developments having to do with the COVID-19 vaccine and its related political and employment law implications, as well as labor and employment law trends and developments generally. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.